Hello and welcome to an Olympic edition of Mostly Weather. I'm Jeff Norwood-Brown and joining me on this episode is podcast presenter, meteorologist and broadcaster Penny Tranter. Hello. Uh, and our guests today are Jim Trice and Simon Rowell. Hello. Now, Jim and Simon, you're new to our podcast. So, Jim, could you could we start with you and could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do here in the Met Office? Uh, yep, my name's Jim Trice. Um, I've worked, well, I'm into my third decade in the Met Office, although only just. Um, uh, I started off as a, as a forecaster and actually the Olympic sailing down at Regatta was my last job as a, as a forecaster before moving on to work with uh, our observations department here in Exeter. Simon, you're not Met Office. No, no. Um, I started off life as an electrical engineer um, uh, in, in the oil and gas business, dropping bits of metal down holes in various parts of the world. And I had an early midlife crisis and went sailing. Um, right. And uh, carried on sailing for quite a long time, mostly on big boats, um, on offshore ocean stuff and did a lot of teaching. And that led me into weather because you're not going to be any good at sailing if you can't work the weather. Um, right. So I went back to university um, in 2009 and did a master's at the University of Reading. Um, and I've been doing dodgy forecasts for sailing events ever since. Right. Okay. Well, we've seen dodgy, but we'll come <laughs> on to that. So, so Simon, you're 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 a, a keen sailor, Jim. I get that you're a keen sailor, Penny. I'm a keen sailor. You're a keen sailor as yes, well. Yes, so, so there's a bit of a theme going there. And this is what we're going to be talking about is the uh, mainly the 2012 Olympics um, and uh, how the weather was forecast for the sailing events. Um, but uh, Simon, uh, you have gone on to forecast for the, was it the Brazil in uh, 2016? Yes, yeah, so I was lucky enough to join the British sailing team at the beginning of 2015. Officially, I started working for them at the end of 2014. And I did the forecasting for the events leading up to the Rio Olympics and the Olympics and the Paralympics themselves. Um, right. I'm still the British sailing team's meteorologist, so we're now in the run-up to Tokyo 2020. Right, okay. So that's in Tokyo. Yeah, right, okay. Great stuff. So I'm going to start with, how did the Met Office get involved in 2012? Anybody? The, the Met Office were actually involved because uh, the organising committee for London uh, actually tendered for the meteorological services for that event. So it wasn't uh, automatic that the Met Office would be involved, but we put in a, a bid for for to provide the services and we were selected. Right, okay. So personally, how did you guys get oh, well that's that's more interesting really, because <laughs> we're all as you said we're all sailors and actually the organizing committee were really keen that um everybody involved in doing the forecasting for the weymouth event was was a keen sailor as well as being a meteorologist because uh well i think i think uh, it was helpful that we knew a lot of the issues that they would face in putting on the event and we're also very keen which helps always and we also kind of knew the language that was used in sailing and uh, racing competitions. So we kind of knew that we didn't have to have that explained. We also, as meteorologists, we knew that we had to use everyday language for the weather forecasting and the so weather it, warnings. So it was, it was a kind call of a combination. For volunteers, was it? There was a call for volunteers. Mm. And uh, so have you done briefings before, either of you, before this event? So I had worked as a BBC broadcast meteorologist. Um, for that time, I'd been working, gosh, I can't remember how many years now. 
must have been at least um, 20, no, how many years have I been doing it? Gosh, I can't, I can't remember. No, I'd worked as a BBC broadcast meteorologist for 16 years and then I'd come back in um, as the training manager at the Metalfus College here. So I was also delivering training as well. So I was used to standing up in front of audiences and delivering right, information. Okay. Yeah, I think I think the others of us in the team as well. Um, we've done a lot of briefings mainly for uh, the military customers, so for the RAF. So we're very used to getting up very early in the morning to put together a briefing package and then stand up in front of a group of pilots, or in this case, sailors, and uh, to give a, a weather briefing. So it wasn't just the pair of you. You, you. you mentioned a team there. So how many were actually involved? Uh, there were five of us. I thought there was four of us. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, and, and you you were based in Exeter, were you in in Met Office HQ, or did you? No, no, Penny's right. There were four of us, and we were based down <laughs> down at Weymouth. So you actually had an office. We, we down had an in office Weymouth. down there. They looked after us really well. They gave mm. us an office on the first floor of the Weymouth and Portland National Sailing Academy, which is the whole venue for the event, um, which overlooked Weymouth Bay and the whole area where the boats are being rigged up uh, right right down in front of us it was really great right yeah. okay so so what about the the rest of the olympics was that was there any coverage from the met office with that at all um yeah so so how it was was that there was a team of uh, four of us at the sailing events and we were just based in weymouth and then there was another uh, team based at the rowing mm-hmm. in eton dorney dorney yeah um, and then also we had a team of chief forecasters who were based at the headquarters um, in London. Right. And they were doing all the forecasting for all the sort of senior management um, in London, looking at the weather for all of the generally. events. Yeah, right, generally. Okay. And, but also looking at the weather for the opening and closing ceremonies as well. Right. Because that okay. was also very, very important. So we were kind of covering it from lots of different angles. Um, the team in Weymouth and the team at Eton Dornay, we were doing really, really detailed, specific forecasting for those two um, events. Whereas the chief forecaster was looking at a much bigger picture, you know, right across the UK, because the events were spread right, right across the right yeah, across the yeah. UK. As there I was recall. a lot in London. Mainly. There were a lot yeah. in London, but there were also some further north as well, right, uh, okay. sort of England and Scotland. I'd like to explain my inability to count as well by going back to the previous question. Right, right. so we, 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 we've gone to four. We've had five and yeah. four. There were four, four of us forecasting. And but we, but we, well, we also had a local volunteer um, for the para, uh, Paralympics and the Olympics, and their job was mainly actually to collate observations from uh, all around the. You race had courses. an observer. We did. Oh, we did. brilliant! Yeah. So they were listening to all of the radio traffic on the, on the VHF radios uh, between between the boats uh, and the shore, and picking up the weather observations, and then putting together a. Um, uh, a weather observation map every hour, which then the forecaster would comment on and would be sent out to to the race organisers. So, so this is five through six now. We're up to. <laughs> okay, right. Got no, that. Four, four, yeah. four plus one. There, there's plenty of time yet, Jim. We can, <laughs> <laughs> we can improve on that number. No. So, so we, we we touched on um, you guys were involved in the sailing, and this took place in uh, in in uh, Weymouth in uh, the UK, um, and. Tell me a little bit about the topography of Weymouth, because it's not easy, is it? So so the first thing to say about Weymouth is that um, it's very close to Portland Bill, 
so Portland Bill is a yeah, fairly large landmass which sticks out into the English Channel. It's um, about four and a half miles uh, long and one and three quarter miles wide and it goes up to uh, around about 400 feet above sea level. So for the purposes of forecasting for a sailing event, it's a significant barrier to the wind trying to get across Portland Bill, if that's the direction that it's I was going to say that's the direction, because you've also got Chesil Beach, haven't you? Well, that's, that's right. So it's a really interesting problem from the point of view of numerical weather prediction, because uh, Chesil Beach is actually quite low. So the wind, uh, if it's coming from the west or southwest, can quite easily get across Chesil Beach um, without too much uh, interference to the flow. But Portland Bill's a different different story and then also you have um sea breezes right okay so did you want to go into that a bit yeah so so, um for this part of the world and on southern england um across chesil beach you have the sea breeze that comes in from the southwest if it's a you know a day that's going to have sea breezes whereas for weymouth bay the sea breeze comes in from the southeast right okay so this is where um the sea heats up uh, or the land heats up. So um, it's where the land heats up. Right. So you've got you've got, got. So you've got air rising above the land, um, and what it does then is that uh, the air then comes in from the sea mm-hmm. um, to replace the air that's risen up from the land, and then you get this kind of loop, then um, going up and down and round. <laughs> so you get the sea breeze. Um, and it generally happens in sort of spring, summer and early autumn. Generally happens when we've got ridges of high pressure, we haven't got a very strong um, sort of gradient wind and it normally happens when we've got sunshine so that the land warms up uh, much quicker than the sea temperature. So it's, 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 it's quite a complex setup already. Yes. Oh, so I'd like to yes. add something okay. to okay. that as well. To well make we're going to go up little seven, bit, seven little, people. A little, <laughs> <laughs> little bit more complex. As Penny said, the sea breeze tend to set, tends to set in from the southeast, but as you go through the day, Coriolis force grabs hold oh, of yeah. the sea breeze. Really? And, and veers it round to the, uh, the mm. southwest. Yeah. The Coriolis force affects it at, at that sort of scale. Yeah, I didn't it affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't realise that. Okay, yeah. so I'm learning. That's good. So there were certain areas, weren't there, that you had to forecast for? The the circles, I believe they were called. Yes. So uh, was it different forecasts for each circle? There was, yeah. So there's five race areas. um, And the idea, um, really the brief that we were given um, from the organising committee was that they would move the the different race classes around the different... uh, race courses in order to give them different challenges on different days so it's really um, rather than just giving one set of boats sheltered conditions it was you know giving them a bit of swell on one day and a bit of flat water on another day and shifty winds on another day and so you know that the olympics is an extreme test of sailing ability it's and not the same supposed, course the whole time it's supposed to be able to cope with everything so that's, there was that idea in there as well as as well as you know overall trying to make sure it was a, a safe and fair regatta Okay, so were you specifically there just to forecast for uh, Team GB, or was there? Uh, were you there for everybody? We were there for everybody. Yeah, there was okay. no favoritism whatsoever. Mm. Our, our brief was to provide the forecast for um, for the organisers, but also um, there was an idea that you know having a, a a major national Met service providing the forecast would help 
actually some of the lesser sailing teams who you don't know, have a net so service. It would, it would help would help everybody actually because I believe you actually went so far as to send up weather balloons as well. So you, you were you doing your own soundings or is that is that an urban myth? Well, we we, we do do soundings on a regular basis, no, but, but, but specifically at Weymouth, not Weymouth. Weymouth no, yeah. no, oh, right. no. I think I think the um, wasn't the 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 computer model the the forecasting model that was tweaked, wasn't it? For uh... yeah, so we we actually showcased um, a, a, a state of the art mm. um, numerical weather model. I don't know what it's been called though, Jim. I mean, we called it the UK 300 well, because still, yeah, it, you still know, calling was... it the 300 meter model. Well, I am anyway. Oh, yeah. right. So because <laughs> the resolution was 350 meters. 333 it? to 333. be exactly. Jim, horizontally. Would get really worried about your <laughs> <laughs> numeracy here. <laughs> I would give my eye teeth to have that working for Tokyo. Actually, that would be brilliant. Yeah, that would be really, really. So, good. so that was something that we actually we, we tweaked the usual UK model to. Well, it was actually, I think it's actually a model in its own right. Oh, was from it? My, oh, right. Yeah, okay. from my so understanding, it, it was fed from, it, it did get fed um, data from other models. But it, the topography, which Jim has described about um, Portland Bill and the Isle of Portland, mm. Weymouth Bay, Chesil Beach, is very complex. And so that was modelled in great detail. So that when it was fed data from the other models that we have in the Met Office, it was very, very good. At modelling, um, you know, wind strength and direction, etc. Yeah, that's right. So the the boundary conditions for the three hundred and thirty three meter <laughs> model uh, were provided by our normal operational model at the time, which was uh, the UKV running at one and a half kilometres. Yeah. So if you think about the topography of Portland Bill, um, as I said, uh, four or so miles long and uh, nearly two miles wide how many grid points you would get for mm. our normal mm. model, which is uh, I'm mixing, mixing up the units here, but of a, of a <laughs> one and a half kilometer model, is not, not many is the answer. But if you bring the model resolution down to uh, 300 or so meters, then you get a lot more um, grid points and you can model the topography much, much better. So this is a finer mesh. The, as they call it, to yes. uh, to actually yeah. look at. I mean, it's it's worth looking up if you if you're not for, familiar with uh, um, uh, the geography of of Weymouth. It's worth looking up on Google Earth or uh, Google Maps or something like that just to have a look at the uh, the you know the topography and uh, uh, the challenges that were actually involved in uh, in trying to forecast this because you know. So the the other thing to mention is that um, you know the the topography of Portland Bill is one thing, but actually if you look again at the t- topographical maps for that area you've got a lot of sea cliffs and mm. um, hills around on uh, south facing hills so you do have a significant thermal effect to the wind on quite a lot of occasions right. particularly in the summer which obviously the, the the sailing event was held in the summer and a, uh, a finer mesh model would have a much better chance of mm-hmm. resolving those small scale circulations and, and small thermal effects than a, a larger scale model. Yeah. And I think it's also um, important to, to point out that we had three of the course areas in, in Weymouth Bay. So you're out in sort of open sea. You're and, right. And then we had um, one in um, Portland Harbour. Um, so obviously with the, with the, there is a breakwater there for Portland Harbour. So right. of course okay. that dampens down yeah, yeah. the sort of waves and the, and the swell quite markedly. And, and that was used for the um, wind surfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also you had one that was called the Noth that was very close to Noth Fort and it was 
it was really poor, wasn't it, when the wind was coming in between the west and the north, mm-hmm. because it was coming in over uh, Weymouth. It was incredibly uh, fluky, you right. know, shifty winds. But the reason that they had that was so that spectators... I think was it the first time that spectators had actually yeah, been able right. to come no, down no, normally and, and watch takes place, the sailing. Takes place quite a long, a long way out to sea, and yeah. Yeah, mm. it's the first time they've really made an effort to bring it in mm. close to close to the land. And they had a fantastic spectator area on on the Node and on Weymouth Beach, actually with big screen TVs and that mm. sort of thing. Yeah. But it was a really good, uh, well attended. Yeah, it was. Uh, spectator yeah, event. It was. That was the that was the medal race course because the Olympic format is such that uh, you have your your five days per class. Of, of regatta racing so you normally race between 10 and 14 races in the series and then the top 10 sailors have a double points medal race on the final final day uh, and that's what the medal race course was so a lot, lot, lots can change for example Ben Ensley won his, uh, his final gold medal because of his performance in the medal race on the final day in the north in front of the spectators so it's it's there's a lot to that. Okay, so as sailors, have any of you actually been in Weymouth? Have you ever actually tried to sail around this particular area? I'll be back there next week, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, so you're based yeah. down there, are you, Simon? Well, that's that's where the British sailing team is based, and uh, there's a, right. there's quite an important regatta coming up uh, in the next few weeks. It's the there's two Olympic classes, well, three. Uh, you've got the the two skiffs, the men's and female skiffs, so the 49ers and 49er FXs. Um, and then the NACRAs, the mixed crew catamaran, they've got their European Championships there starting from second week in May. Um, uh, and that's that's quite an important event, not only because they're European Championships, but also they're part of the um, uh, the ongoing programme for towards uh, Tokyo 2020. Right. So, so so I'll be there looking at exactly the things which uh, Jim and Penny have just been talking about, the, the, the way the... the Air comes around and over Portland Bill. The way it gets accelerated along the cliffs at the other side there. The, I guess. A, so is this going to be helpful for Tokyo? Because is it going to be a reasonably similar setup? Or? Well, it's interesting. There's actually quite a lot of comparisons between the two the two venues. Um, Tokyo is um, the Tokyo sailing is not in Tokyo Bay itself. It's in the next bay along Sagami Bay, Sagami One. Um, and the, the marina is called Enoshima. And Enoshima is it's an island on the end of a causeway with a marina on it, very much like Portland. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> and there's a big open bay to the east, very much like Weymouth Bay. Um, uh, there's one major difference in that the water temperatures there is about 26 Celsius. Right. And come the end of July, beginning so of August, that's quite warm. That's quite warm, yeah. Uh, come, come the games period, it's the land temperature is going to be in the low 30s. But it's okay. I don't sweat much, so it's right. fine. Um, but uh, but but that's the major climatic difference. It's much hotter, which means that the the, the thermal effects, which you two have been talking about, are are much much bigger there. Um, and things happen. We get sea breeze on the cloud, which is a bit strange. Uh, mm. But um, anyway, going back to the sailing side of things at Weymouth, um, and this is another comparison between the two venues. You have swell coming in. Weymouth Bay is, is open to the channel, so you can have quite big, quite long swell coming in. And especially if you've got a sea breeze day, for example, the direction of the swell can be quite different from the direction of the wind. And as a sailor, especially on a small, fast boat, that can make life quite interesting. Uh, and it's a lot of skill involved in in sailing and holding those conditions. So does anybody feel like they want to explain the difference between waves, swell, and maybe fetch? 
Hands up, come on. I <laughs> know uh, we can do this, we can do this. Um, the, uh, you mentioned fetch there. Uh, uh, the fetch is the, is, the, is the distance that a wind blows over before it gets to you. And generally, the longer the fetch, the bigger the sea state. That's why uh, people, if you, if you happen to go sailing in the Caribbean, for example, people think, oh, Caribbean, lovely. Then it is, it is lovely. But it's got the entire Atlantic as the fetch, so the waves tend to be pretty big. In Tokyo, uh, it's got the entire West Pacific, so we can have almost no wind and have a happy one meter swell coming in. Uh, it's not quite as big in Weymouth because you've only got the English Channel, which is, what, 100 or so miles at that stage. But it can still, that's still fairly impressive. You can still we get quite a big of energy, lot of energy coming get, in. We can still get some westerly swell coming all Very the way much down, so, yeah. down the channel. Curling around the bill. Um, well, one, one of the things we, we had, um, which was really useful, was a, a fine scale uh, wave model um, that we used at, at Weymouth. Can, can, can I steal this from you, please? <laughs> <laughs> it, actually, it, it, in advance of, of, of the event, we, we went down in uh, 2011 and provided a forecast service for the, oh, for the uh, test event. For the test event. Mm. And we didn't have all the fine scale models at that stage. So we, were, we had to resort to some uh, slightly more uh, pen and paper type forecasting tools to try and work out how the, the swell would wrap around Portland Bill and uh, uh, diminish as it wrapped into mm. into um, into Weymouth Bay, but for for the Olympic event we had we had some great help from there. So, what rehearsals did you actually have to do beforehand? I mean, or did you just go straight in and do it? Yeah. So the the organisers, uh, Locog, they invited us down to um, to Weymouth um, in first of all in two thousand and ten, uh, and that was a really great experience because we weren't we weren't there to do any work to do any forecasting. We were there to learn about how the the event worked. So we we went out onto the committee boats and we watched how races were. Um, were, were, were organised. We watched people with um, bits of string on the end of pencils and compasses, trying to work out exactly where the where the first upwind mark would be and whether the the wind was varying too much to make the start or, or not. So that that was really great. That was the first time we really saw it all in action. We saw some great sailing skill as well, with lots of boats cramming to get to that start line um, all at the same time. And then in uh, in 2011, we were down there for the. Um, the, the Olympic test event where we were providing a, a forecasting service but actually we didn't have um, all of the fine scale models at our disposal at that stage so we we were reverting to much more traditional pen and paper type forecasting techniques in some in some cases to work out how the the swell for example was um, wrapping around Portland Bill and into Weymouth Bay. Right so I'm just curious what sort of hours did you actually work? So during the event and actually during the test event, it was it was um, traditional it was forecasting hours, which is get up really really early, a good couple of <laughs> hours before any, anybody else um, to put all of the forecasting normally information together. Normally it's about five o'clock in the morning till it about was. Yeah. seven o'clock in the evening once you put that right. on the debrief at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear that small violin? It's, it's, it's going, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we were lucky in that we had a team, so we did we did it in two shifts. So we did an early shift and then an, and an afternoon evening shift. So we weren't there for. The entire um, um, was it just just the one day. forecast that you produced on each shift, or were there several forecasts? Or there, there were there were several really. So we were briefing first of all the organisers, and then um, we were going on to brief the racing teams after that. And again, still fairly early in the morning initially, uh, but then we'd uh, repeat the repeat the um, the whole exercise and the, the briefings in the in the afternoon and evening. And this was what month was this in twenty twelve that you. Did this? It was, um, if I remember correctly, 
back end of July in August that, and the Paralympics right. were and in September. And then the Paralympics as well, that's what I was leading yeah. on to. So yeah. you did the Paralympics as well. Yes, know? we and, did. And that was the same area, same setup. So the Paralympics was actually um, quite different. Um, there's just three classes and they were all, um, they all competed in Portland Harbour. Right. So they weren't out in Weymouth Bay and they didn't use Nose. And the reason for that was that they wanted the, the sea to be as flat as possible right. for the Paralympian um, sailors. And also it was the closest race course um, to the venue because of course, um, Paralympic sailors have very different needs from Olympic sailors. Mm. So sometimes they could only be out on the water for a certain number of hours. Um, for example, if they needed medication or something like that. Okay. So there was a it was a very different setup, wasn't it, Jim? It was. Um, yeah. For the Paralympics but, but you, compared you to the Olympics. For both of those as well. We did, we did, and not only were we doing forecasts, we were also providing um, warnings. We were answering ad hoc oh, right. questions, okay. Okay. weren't we? We 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 were sort of in the office beside the senior management. So if they were looking at a scheduling issue a couple of days ahead, you know, they'd just come and knock on the door and we'd have a, a very informal chat about it. So what, one of the warnings, which, which you know, doesn't really relate to the normal sort of weather warnings the Met Office does, is a, is a warning of variable wind direction. Mm. Um, right, so that's, one of so that's one light of winds, real, is it? Well, yeah. light, light, light winds are just, it can be actually a fairly you know, moderate wind that's passing over Portland Bill and and it just wouldn't work in terms of setting up the racing with a right. steady a steady wind yeah, direction. You have to have a reasonably steady direction, otherwise uh, you're because the the race courses aren't that long. They're they're potentially a, 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 you go you go up and a mile and then down and a mile. Do a couple of laps of that and that's it. Right. Uh, and if the wind direction shifts by forty degrees in that time, it can be massively unfair. Uh, to more than to, to to basically the the proportion of the fleet that didn't happen to choose that side first. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So so your wind not only has to be uh, either more than a little bit, and obviously it can't be blowing too strong. So but it also has to be reasonably steady as well. That's putting you under quite a bit of stress there. I would have mm. thought. So what were, what were the biggest stresses? I mean, there's what six billion people watching. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think I think one of the things was that we had to get the wind speed within an accuracy of one or two knots. <laughs> Which yeah, they're, is, they're, sorry, I'm not laughing there. <laughs> which is huge. Sa- sailing is that amazing? It, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one in that sailing isn't just affected by the weather in terms of you know you can imagine some Olympic events might be cancelled because the weather's bad, but actually for sailing, um, the weather is an integral part of the, mm-hmm. the game. Yeah, if you can guess which way the wind's going to shift, or, or you can prepare uh, because you know. Um, uh, exactly what the conditions are going to be on that day better than the competitors then that gives you a significant advantage over and hence else. the need to be rigorous that you didn't give any information away to any one particular no, team that, yeah well it, yeah. it was kind of the opposite to that jeff because it was giving all of the information to all of the teams right and, and, okay and, and then letting them decide fair. so yeah. so so this is where simon this is where <laughs> you, you come into your own my, my viewpoint is entirely the opposite i want to give as much possible decent information to the british sailing team and i don't care about anyone else yeah um yeah. so uh, you were in Rio 2016? Yes, I was for the Olympics and the Paralympics. Right, um, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, and um, pretty much the same routine as we've discussed because uh, um, you, you've got to, my routine is to, is to is to prepare a forecast for the coaches and the race management team, uh, uh, sorry, our sailing management team and, um, and the sailors, of course. That's normally given out I tend to do my presentation over breakfast because that's where most people are there. Um, so normally about 8, 8, 15 in the morning um, put, put out a document to everybody normally via whatever electronic media we've got going at the time 
and then um, uh, updates and changes through the day, really, because uh, um, no, no weather forecast tends to really hold. <laughs> it meets reality and something normally changes. But the, 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 the interesting thing about a, a weather forecast for this micro level of, of event is that uh, um, the overall forecast is normally pretty good. You know, if it's a southwesterly 10 to 15 knots, that's great. But but what is it on the right-hand side of the course? What is it on the left-hand side of the course? What is it on the course that's tucked underneath the cliffs? It's things like right. that. And that that comes from actually knowing the event, knowing, sorry, knowing the venue and having sailed there and collating all your observations and, and putting some, some real-life micro uh, observations onto what's generally a pretty good overall forecast. I, I wanted to mention something about that actually because I, w I went down for a, uh, uh, a regatta down at Weymouth and you know competed myself not at anywhere near Olympic level but a couple of years before the event and um, it was uh, one of the days was a good sea breeze day and I remember talking to some of the local sailors down there and they were looking at the uh, the cliffs above uh, above Weymouth Bay and they started to get a little bit of cloud development mm. above the cliffs and they one of them said to me oh, when you get that sort of effect then you just see the sea breeze building building and building and building through the rest of the day and you know that sort of local effect is something that only mm. sometimes local and local, local sailors, knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah have but it's incredibly it's really powerful. valuable yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and and we developed that skill didn't we we did from we did. Uh, 2011 um, which we were able to use in 2012 and obviously we we're using the forecast models as well and we had to learn their weaknesses and strengths when well, it came to forecasting that, too that, that that was that was part of it actually wasn't it because um the the fine mesh model that we had we didn't have in previous summers it was set up specifically for the olympics in 2012 right so we didn't although we had it maybe a month or two before the event, we didn't have a great deal of experience oh. of how it worked in different situations. Um, so as a forecaster, that kind of gives you a lot mm. of um, <laughs> comfort mm. and confidence if you've if you've used a model for a long time and you know how it works. But um, what we had instead was um, the Met Office set up uh, a convective scale ensembles uh, model. Okay, so um, this is where they run the... The computer several times and uh, you know just tweak it that's right each time just see what the differences would be that's right yeah and so they, we were quite involved in the setup of that and we were asked well what, what particularly are you interested in and one of the things that we were really interested in to try and um, give us some confidence of whether the sea breeze circulation would set in or not mm. was the temperature contrast between the land and the sea so we said what what it'd be really useful to have is how how hot is the air over the land going to be and the variation between the different models right. in that ensemble and so you know if all of the uh, all of the runs of that model said it's going to give a eight or ten degree temperature contrast then we'd be really confident we were going to get our yeah. sea breeze if some of them said yeah you're only going to get one or two degrees difference then it's when we, you get 50 we, percent we, yeah. <laughs> and we knew we had to be a bit more cautious with the forecast yeah very much so so simon did you have to go out to rio beforehand and yeah i spent uh, quite a lot of time there in the end which is lovely it's brilliant oh, um for you uh, i know it's terrible um we spent quite a lot of time there actually um because the, the good thing about rio is well there's many good things about rio but from a sailing from a sailing weather point of view, because it's just inside the tropics, um, uh, the sailing conditions there are much the same all year round. It's a little bit hotter in summer, it's a little bit cooler in the winter, but you still get much the same type of days there. You still get your, you know, when, the, when it's an onshore gradient, it's going to be much the same in summer and winter. If it's a sea breeze, it's going to be much the same in summer and winter. So we, we, we actually could go out there uh, all through the year, right? Um, okay, which which was very handy. 
Um, for for Tokyo, it's very different because the 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 weather is is much different in the winter than there is in the summer. Okay. So we're we're limited in our in. It's not worth going up there in the winter, basically. Okay. So you've done Rio, and uh, you're going to be doing Tokyo. So um, have you been out to Tokyo yet? Yes, uh, quite a few times already. Um, uh, only in the summer though, really, because uh, the the difference between summer and winter weather in Tokyo is massive. Uh, it, there's no point in going and training there in the winter. Um, there's the, the 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 wind the wind regimes are completely different. So, so we we, we tend to we tend to go up there uh, for several weeks um, uh, in the summer. Um, this year, I'm probably going to spend all of August out there, um, uh, and maybe a week or so either side of that. And the the the, 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 the sailors and their coaches, depending on their regatta schedule and their training schedule, they'll be out there for a, a training period somewhere in the June to September period. Right, okay, so you're going to be working with the team. Yeah, very okay. much so, yeah. so that, yeah. that, that's interesting. So so what sort of model data do you use? Uh, whatever I can get my hands <laughs> on, really. Um, uh, the, 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 the thing about model data for, for micro-forecasting is um, uh, you either need to have um, uh, a really good model like the three hundred meter model that we've did, we've been we've been discussing, um, and ca- can I say again that I, if you happen to have any of that going on, <laughs> lovely, throw it my way. Um, or, you, or, 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 or you need to 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 do a lot of ensemble forecasting. Um, basically, you need resources for that. And mm. uh, one of the things about the British sailing team is is that the 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 impression is that we have a ton of money. We don't. So so basically, what I do, I I, I every morning, I look at as many uh, commercially available models as I can get my hands on. For that particular venue, and do my own little uh, ensemble from that. Effectively, this morning, for example, the, uh, the some of the team are in a, at a regatta in Hiers in the south of France right now this week. So I, was, I did a forecast for that this morning before I came down, um, and I looked at the Met Office model, um, the uh, uh, the NOAA's GFS model, right. uh, the ECMWF model, and Meteo France's Arome model. Uh, thankfully, this morning they all said much the same thing. Um, and, but also, I use I use my own experience of the venues, um, and we collect our experience as well. So we try and we, we, we try we try and um, collect all our observations of things we've actually seen and and put that into effect. Because I think really, as well as doing my forecast in the morning, what I try and do as well as is and this is a really important part of my job, is to try and tell the sailors what they might see. To, to give them clues as to what things right. are going to happen. Okay, so you're, um, you're actually educating them in. It's really important, yeah, because no forecast, no forecast, uh, not even not even your excellent 300 meter model. Have, have I told you about that before? <laughs> um, we'll be able to tell the sailor which way to go on the on, on the second beat up, uh, up the course. It's just not going to happen. But what the sailors do, especially when you get to the elite level, because they're such good, at, they're so good sailors. If you can shave a fraction of a second off their decision time as to whether to go left or right, or whether that cloud over there is is useful or not. Um, then that's what makes the difference. So I always try, and so, so does the whole sort of support team. We try and not only do the whole thing with physiology and nutrition and training and all that good stuff, but we also try and do the education there to get the sailors and the coaches to understand the venue and to understand how that how the weather works in that venue from what you can see on the water point. You, of view. You're, you're completely right about that. That question came up in the run up to the Olympics in. Um, in that we were asked, um, can you tell us what the uh, the frequency of the the wind shifts will be mm. on any particular yeah. day? And that was a 
that's just not something that we're able to do with <laughs> with the tools we've got available. Uh, so that's that's something you need to work out when you're on the water. Really. Exactly, because you know, if you have a, if you have a nice lazy oscillation, twenty minutes going left and twenty minutes going right, if you time that, then mm-hmm. then great. If you get it the wrong way around, then you're at the back of the fleet. Yeah, I've had that. I've had that as a, as an observer. Can you give me the average wind speed and direction for August? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> well, you can, but it's meaningless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but we did find down at uh, for London 2012 at Weymouth, we did find that um, the weather did stick to climatology. It did. It did. Yeah. You know, we had the sea breezes. We had the strong easterly. We'd had the thunderstorms mm. and the squall line. We 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 had everything that we expected. That, that, that that's true, but it, that also gave us a worry, I think, didn't it? Because you know, there are times at Weymouth where it's really not. The wind doesn't blow, and, and that's and right. That was one of the major oh, things that we light windows they're terrible, aren't they? Yeah, awesome. yeah. So but we, we we did have a success with that though. On the last day of the Paralympic Games, we were saying five days ahead. This huge area of high pressure. There was going to be no wind, not even a sea breeze. And I think the, the sailing schedule has changed because of that forecast. Yeah, it was. It? Yeah. 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 So I mean, I get the impression, Simon, that you're really enjoying your job at the moment. Um, <laughs> Met office guys. Did you enjoy it? Would you do it again? I definitely enjoyed it. I hadn't um, I hadn't worked shifts for a few years, so that took a bit of getting used to. But because it was midsummer and it was daylight when you got up at, I don't know, quarter past four in the morning. <laughs> but uh, no, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really challenging. You know, it, it really stretched us, but it was really rewarding as well, you know, to see the feedback and to see people using our information mm. to their advantage when they were competing as well. So... We obviously try to be neutral. We try to give all the information to every team uh, as best as we could. But do you think there is a home advantage to sailing? I mean, looking at Weymouth is a particularly interesting uh, setup, but also Tokyo as well. Do you think there's going to be an advantage to the home team? Yeah, I think there is always a home advantage. Um, you, you, you get more time to sail in your particular venue, so you understand the particular foibles better. Um, also, you don't have to spend anywhere near, near as much money on on travel, so you can you can put money more money into your boats, into your physiology program, right, okay. things things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there certainly is a is a home advantage, and from a forecasting point of view, uh, the more time you spend in a venue, the better your forecasts should be. Um, uh, and if you, if you live there, great. I think I think uh, I think that's right. Yeah, there's always a home advantage. What we did see on our trip. Yeah, many trips down to Weymouth before before the event was that the French sailing team were camped out there quite a lot. Mm. So as well as a home advantage, there's a sort of near nations, mm-hmm. you know, second tier advantage, I suppose. So you, you didn't use terms like dreek and mizzle and that sort of thing that, <laughs> that only the Brits would understand. No, we didn't. We use we use language every Uni- day. Every day, language. yes, universal language, absolutely. And so, what happened? Twenty twelve. Who who won? And what happened in Rio as well? I mean, how did the Jubilee And what's your forecast do? for 2020? For- <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only got a medals table for 2012, so... Uh... <laughs> Have we got the, the Rio information? Oh, um, I, I, we did. Okay, right. That's all we need to know. That's quite a nice round-up to feel good, you know. But hang on. So when the Met Office did the forecast, we didn't win. (laughs) And when Simon did the forecast. No, 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 no. That's because we did such a brilliant forecast Uh, that the other teams were able to use that brilliant forecasting to their advantage. Let's do that again. That's good. Okay, Jeff. So... 
in the end, what was the results? 2012, how did GB do? GB were third in the medal table then, um, working on... The way, the, the, way the, the, the Olympic medal tables work is that you judge on the number of golds you get, basically. Right. So um, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in Weymouth, uh, we got one gold. Um, uh, Spain got two and Australia got three. And what about Rio? Rio, thankfully, we came out top. Right, okay. So that's interesting. <laughs> so that was with you as the specific forecaster. Oh, I'd love to be able to say it was all due to me. No, 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 far from it. Um, yes, I was a specific forecaster, but we had spent quite a lot of time out there. And we'd also spent a lot of time not only looking at the forecasting, but equally and almost more importantly, looking at what actually happened on every single course. Because we've spoken about Rio, about Portland, uh, Portland Bill being a big lump of rock sticking up. In, in Rio, it was the, the, the sugar loaf, which yes. is this big pointy thing sticking yeah. up um, right at the windward end of the medal race course. Um, it was the single most important topological fe feature there. And um, because you could fit it quite happily into a box about 700 meters square, it didn't show up on any of the of the physical models. One of the commercial um, weather companies very kindly sent me their, their land model that they used for their one kilometer model. And um, I used to use this model every day because I thought the timing of the various wind changes was quite quite good on it. But um, uh, Sugarloaf didn't even exist right, on their model okay. because just and, and that's not a criticism; it's just a fact of life. If you yeah, have a, yeah. if you have a thing that's smaller than the grid boxes, it's not going to show it's up. It's not going to show up. Yeah. yeah. So, and um, what will be the results in Tokyo? Well, I'm not certainly certainly not going to put the jinx on it, but we are training very hard and doing quite well so far. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Anything else anybody wants to contribute to the conversation that you feel like we've missed out? So I think um, in uh, at Weymouth there were some. Uh, we might have got one or two more medals if it hadn't been for the medal race. You know, I think it's, the star, the guys in the star. Yeah, class they, they they were in gold medal position up until the medal race and yeah. uh, came up with silver. Still a great effort, obviously, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that changed the medal race. So Ben Ainsley, he won his gold. In the medal race, yeah. um, it's a it makes for quite an exciting finish to the to the Olympic four cup uh, format because your regatta is such a long event. Things do change over a, a very small, very short double point race at the end. Did we did we did we talk about how long the Olympics are compared to a normal regatta? I oh, know we didn't. No, I missed out on that. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, you mentioned six days, didn't you, for a normal your regatta. normal regatta s sailing starts on Tuesday and finishes on Sunday, for example. Um, that's that's doubled for the Olympic regatta. Um, so and the, the various classes have staggered starts. So you've always got someone sailing, but uh, it makes it quite difficult. For, well, not difficult, but different for the sailors because if you happen to be in the class that's starting last, you've got four or five days of twiddling your thumbs while everyone else is sailing. Yeah. Whereas if you're in the class that finishes finishes first, then you've got to make really sure, however well you do, that you don't go out and party party because then you disturb the people who are still sailing. Okay, well, that's been absolutely fantastic, guys. I mean, that what what an insight that's been to the complexities of of what goes on behind the scenes, you know. And uh, um, I'd just like to thank Penny. Thank you. And Jim, thank you for inviting me along. I'd like to say as well that this really was um, doing the forecast for the Olympic Games was the absolute pinnacle of my I forecasting imagine, career. Absolutely, I, I loved yeah. it. Absolutely. And Simon, uh, thank you so much for, for, for dropping into our podcast here. And, uh, you know, best of luck for 2020. We'll be watching. Thanks very much indeed. Today's producer was Jeff Norwood-Brown and the editor was Simon Hammett. 
Mostly Weather is a podcast from the UK Met Office.